31. I want to preach to everybody here today. Everybody. Jesus said, in that day, he which shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. Remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it. And whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. I tell you, in that night there shall be two men in one bed. One shall be taken, the other left. Two women shall be grinding together. The one shall be taken and the other left. Two men shall be in the field. One shall be taken and the other left. I want to speak to you for a little while this morning. And I'd really like to highlight our young folks here today. The value of an opportunity. The value of an opportunity. Everybody say thank the Lord for the word. That was a quick 30 minutes, wasn't it? You may be seated. This passage of scripture in Luke chapter 17, I'm going to be a little bit wordy for my introduction today and uh, hopefully you'll lend me your ear. This passage of scripture is one that is dealing with the ramifications of the Jewish people getting ready for the second coming of Christ. That is not the rapture, that would be the second coming of Christ when he returns to the Mount of Olives. The context of it actually begins in verse 20. We started reading in verse 31. So in verse 20, Jesus is answering a question from the Pharisees who were inquiring when the kingdom of God would actually come to pass. When are you going to set up a kingdom on this earth. So Jesus embarks on an explanation to them of what would take place when his kingdom would come to pass. Uh, He gave them numerous signs of things to watch for when that would be imminent. So as you may notice if you've studied the Word of God that there are some brief similarities of this passage found in Matthew 24 and Matthew 25, which is the called the Olivet Discourse. Luke 17, 20 through 37 that we read here today is more of a capsule form of what is found in Matthew 24 and 25. Jesus would bring to pass the thought that they had in reality missed completely regarding what the kingdom of God looked like. They wanted to know when the kingdom of God would actually come to pass. They meant, when are you coming to rule and reign on the earth? But Jesus responded to that in verse 20 when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come. He answered them and said, The kingdom of God comes not without observation. Neither shall they say, Lo, go here or lo, go there. For the kingdom of God is within you. He said, you're looking for a a natural, physical kingdom. But for now, the kingdom of God is on the inside of you if you're willing to embrace it. Then Paul took it a step further in Romans chapter 14, verse 17. He said, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It's not a physical place. It's not a place of topography. But it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. So his instructions for this kingdom were different from any other than the Jewish people had ever heard of. Every king had a kingdom. But Jesus said, my kingdom is on the inside of you. So he goes on to say, if you're on the housetop, Don't go into your house and get your things. It's not going to be that kind of kingdom that you have to rally to by moving topographically to some other location. He said, if you're in the field, don't go back and get your possessions. And then he went on to say, but if you're willing to give up your life for my kingdom, 
you'll preserve it. If you're willing to give it up for me, then your life will be for the better. If you choose to preserve your life yourself and become a hoarder of earthly things, then you won't survive it. So there's a fine line of separation that comes with God's kingdom. That is, two in the bed, two grinding corn, two in the field. One can have the kingdom of God in them and they'll be taken. The one who does not have the kingdom of God in them will be left. That's how thin the line is. There's an urgency about this text that tells us that we will not be riding in on someone else's coattail, is what this text is telling me. If you want to be a part of the kingdom of God, you have an opportunity to do that on your own. But you're not going to ride on somebody else's coattail, your parents, your spouse, your family. You have to be in it, and it has to be in you. It is your personal relationship with God. Simply, seemingly out of place in this passage is one of the shortest verses in the Bible when Jesus said, Remember Lot's wife. It is amazing to me that Jesus reached way back and brought this nameless character in the Bible up at all. But it's interesting to me that her family made it, including her, out of Sodom and Gomorrah, but she never made it to the total place of completeness that God wanted her. So it is possible to be a family unit in the church and your family be taken and you be left behind. There are other passages in which Jesus or one of the writers of the epistles would explain an Old Testament character or they would mention an Old Testament character and then they would explain why they mentioned them. Esau, for example, was mentioned in the New Testament. His name was mentioned and then an explanation was given that he threw away his birthright for essentially a bowl of soup. Sodom and Gomorrah would rise up in judgment because others had more to work with and did less than Sodom did. Jonah, who laid in the belly of a whale for three days. These people are mentioned, these places are mentioned in the New Testament, and then an explanation is given as to why they're mentioned. But Jesus didn't do that with Lot's wife. He said seemingly out of place in this scripture setting, to remember Lot's wife, but then he didn't say anything else about her. So there's other passages where Jesus mentions people, or writers mentions people, gives an explanation, but Jesus didn't hear. There's no explanation. Just a three-word sermon. A three-word sermon. And then Jesus drops it and continues his discourse. It stands out to me, though, as a warning. But there's something more behind this veiled reference preaching to everybody here today. Lot's wife is a nameless woman. We have no idea where she came from. There's no background. There's no pedigree. There's no genealogy given to her. She's not a prophetess like Anna. She's not a judge like Deborah. She's not a queen like Esther who saved her people. She's not like Ruth who was an intruder that birthed a king. She is not like a Rachel who gives birth to a great Egyptian prince. She's not like Hannah who is a great prayer warrior who falls on the altar and cries and bears a child on the tenacity of her prayers. She's not like Abigail who demonstrated great nobility in a time of difficulty. She's not like Sarah who moved out of, from her country and left her kindred with her husband seeking for a city whose builder and maker was God. 
She's not like Mary of Bethany who changed the atmosphere of the house she was sitting in with a broken alabaster box of perfume. She's not like any of these great women of Scripture. Nothing is known of her. And yet the command of Jesus was to remember her. There's another way you could say his statement. is no matter what happens in your life, don't you ever, 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 ever forget Lot's wife. I'll never forget it. So in a way this morning, if you would, to know Lot's wife, I suppose our better choice here today in the direction to go is to know Lot. So who is Lot? Don't know anything about his wife, so who is he? He is the nephew of Abraham. He is a fatherless child who is connected with a childless father. They became fused together in something that most would probably agree was not necessarily the will of God. It was just a family thing that happened. But he ended up leading a divided house against Abraham, his uncle. Lot's actions and character could be summed up in other ways. Lot wasn't particularly a very good man. Lot was a very carnal and lustful man. You could suppose that Lot is a very selfish man driven by his own agenda. You could conclude that Lot is a very divisive man. So God determined that Abraham needed to separate himself from Lot. So God's wisdom prevailed and he directed Abraham to give Lot his own choice concerning land. A choice that would decide Lot and his family's future. Because Lot was a greedy man and driven by his own program and agenda, God separates him from Abraham quickly, seamlessly, and with little scarring. One of the greatest mysteries of the Scripture is that Lot is referred to in Second Peter chapter 2 as a righteous man. Perhaps here's why. He was good enough to entertain angels. He was good enough and sensible enough to provide for these angels who manifested themselves as men. He protected them. He defended them. He was good enough that when God decided to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, that Lot is going to be rescued. All of the above about Lot sounds kind of like the average American church attender. Fairly carnal, but thinks he's spiritual because figuratively speaking, he entertains angels once in a while. Literally speaking, he does something spiritual once in a while. Lot really had no clue why those angels were even there, even though he entertained them appropriately. God's instructions to Lot were to get his wife and daughters out of the city and flee to the mountains. Some transactions took place on Lot's part, and he ended up setting his sights on a city called Zor, where the visit from the angels were the result of Abraham's intercession. At least Lot had the wherewithal to follow the angels out. So here begins my message today, the value of an opportunity. As Lot prepares to leave the city, he takes his nameless wife and his daughters, and they are escorted out by angels. Everybody listen and notice the screen. Suddenly, they were opened up to the work of God in the venue of an opportunity. They were opened up to the work of God through a window of opportunity. This is not God blessing Lot and his family. This is God giving them an opportunity. We pursue the blessing. We want to be blessed. We want God's favor. God will bless And sometimes God will lend His favor. But what God is interested in more today, in my perspective, than anything else, 
is giving to every person sitting in this building an opportunity. You can take a blessing and do whatever you want to with it. You can take an opportunity and do whatever you want to with it. But far and large, by far greater proportion, is opportunity more beneficial to us than blessing. If there's anything that stands out in this story, is that this woman had an opportunity. God wasn't trying to bless her that night and let her speak in tongues a little bit and let her jump up and down a little bit and be greeted when she came into church and everybody smile at her. He wasn't into all that that day. That city was about to turn into a glorified barbecue pit. And he made one exception for one family on the back of another man's intercessory prayer. And God said, okay, I'm going to give them not a blessing, but an opportunity. opportunity. I hear people say often, I've heard it all of my life. If I just had an opportunity, I'm going to be honest here today. And my upbringing in church, when I got old enough as these guys are here, I started looking around for things that, hey, I wouldn't mind doing that. There was a time when I wouldn't mind being a drummer. And there was a time, seriously speaking, I thought I might could play the piano and, and uh, settle for the guitar. Uh, I played a saxophone a little bit. I played a tambourine. But I reached an age where... I just didn't want to come to church and get that feeling. I wanted to be involved in it. I wanted to be a part of it. I wanted a door to open for me somewhere so I could step in to just a little bit more than sitting on a church pew and watching everybody else do something. I've got blessed time and time and time again. But there came a time when God opened a door and said, Here is your opportunity. It's up to you what you're going to do with it or not. And I stand behind this pulpit virtually every week. And I rub shoulders with most everybody in this church on some occasion, in some event, in some venue, on some level. And there's a stark number of people here today that's like every Sunday, every Wednesday, and all through the week, God will slap us this way, figuratively speaking, and slap us that way, and move us this way. And this happens in our family, and this happens in our life, and this happens on the job. And this goes on, and we hear this, and we hear that, and it's God screaming, I've blessed you since you've known me. Now I want to give you an opportunity. And we miss it. There's people sitting here today that could be amazing in the kingdom, but you don't see it. And I reach a point where I don't want as much blessing. I've reached a point in ministry. I don't want as much blessing as I want opportunity. I want an opportunity to get into somebody's life. I want to get into somebody's and impact their life. I want to help change their life. I want God to use me to inspire people, to help people make it to heaven. I'm constantly seeking for opportunities. We used terminology when our church was in Baker years ago that um, when people would come, I still do it. I still, I can't help it. I still do it. When people come to Grace Church, I put a target on them and say, okay, they're coming, they're faithful. What can I do with them? Where can they be involved? What can they be involved in? And when you approach people and you wait and you wait and you wait and you wait and they don't offer up anything, so sometimes I'll go to a person, hey, man, you want to be involved? Well, and I want to scream. You'll take God up on his blessing, but you won't accept his invitation with an opportunity. What is an opportunity? What are you talking about, Pastor? So much can be done with an opportunity if you're willing to invest in it. So what is it? An opportunity is 
an opportunity is an opportunity to prove who you are. An opportunity is to stay with it. It's to turn your life around. It's to improve your mind and the way you think. It's, a, it's to form good habits. It's to have sterling character. It's to be useful. It's to invest your life and not waste it. It's to make a plan for the future. The word opportunity. The word opportunity. The heart of it. The middle of it. Take away the OP off the front and that unity on the back. You have the word port. It comes from the root word signifying at port or in the harbor. This is suggestive of the statement there's a, there's a tide in the affairs of men which taken at flood leads on to fortune. It has everything to do with timing. So if you're at the port and the tide comes in, you can set sail and make a fortune as they would back in the old Bible days. One has to think of a trader uh, who is dealing in the market, ready to turn every opportunity into an advance for himself. There are great opportunities that will present themselves only once or twice in a lifetime. And a man must take advantage of those times and never look back. Take advantage of an opportunity to be better and never look back. Opportunities like a strip of sand that stretches up and down the beaches. That greedy, that the, the greedy tides are always working against the sand. Whether it is people, communities, nations, or churches, no one can allow the erosion of opportunity. The problem with Lot's wife is that she destroyed her opportunity rather than value her opportunity. She destroyed it. At first glance, there's a tendency to think that she is a decadent sinner or even a reprobate, a godless woman who is depraved. Perhaps the memorial of remembrance is to look at her sin and stay away from it. But this can't be the case because God brought her out. Whatever she was or even had the potential to be, she wasn't bad enough for God to want to destroy her because he sent angels to save her. If you were so bad, if there wasn't something in you that God did not want to save, he would have let you pass from this life a long time ago. Lot's wife leaving Sodom and Gomorrah was not about whether or not she would get out, but rather what she would do when she did. There's people sitting this morning, oh my goodness. There's people sitting this morning at, at, at virtually every level of spirituality. And, and you know, I'm not the expert at this either, but I try every day, every day, every day, every day to take advantage of opportunities God gives to me. But there's people saying this morning, I want to walk up just, just scream saying, God has set in front of you an opportunity and you're doing nothing with it. And people revert back to the, well, I'm not good enough and, and I'm not this and I'm not that. If God thought that, if we think that about Lot's wife, everybody here does say she's a, she was an idiot and she, she didn't deserve being saved anyway. God went through a lot of trouble to get that woman out of Sodom. And he doesn't do that for everybody. She was such a wretch and such a horrible person as sometimes we think she is. Would God have gone through all the trouble? Lot's wife leaving Sodom and Gomorrah was not about whether or not she would get out. But what she would do when she did. But as she was leaving, as many have done here today, as she was leaving her past behind on the way to her destiny, her future. She aborted it. 
She aborted the opportunity just by simply doing this. I've taught this before, and I've taught it numerous times on Wednesday nights and times past. But this is the way people live for God. A lot of church people live for God in this way. God, future, purpose, destiny, all that good stuff is that way. But we're doing this. With sin and the world and all of that, and after a while, you just stop. And God made a statement with that woman in the actual early days of time and brought it up several thousand years later in the New Testament to the Jewish people. Remember Lot's wife. You people as a nation are doing what she did. God has gone through a lot of trouble to bring a Savior to the earth. He's come in flesh himself, and he is standing in front of you, and you're walking like that. They became the New Testament monument of Lot's wife. Yes, they did. This is not necessarily for backsliders. That's what I want you to understand. I'm not preaching to backsliders because she didn't go back when the city was burning down. She didn't go back. This is not a message for people who go back, but for those who continually look back. Why would this woman who had a safe future in front of her look back? Why would she throw away the hopes for tomorrow with one look back? Why would she look back when everything, everything God had for her was in front of her? What could be behind you that would trump or outweigh or be of more value than what God has in front of you? Everything God has for us is in our future. You have to quit looking back at the old year, the old mistakes, the old grudges, the old offenses, the old hurts, the old dilemmas of life. If you're looking back, you'll never embrace the promise of God for the future. Our prayer can never be, God, don't let me go back, because the problem is not going back. It's looking back. Somewhere we have to get over the spilt milk perspective out of our mind and heart, because crying about yesterday and giving up the events of yesterday and giving up the values of yesterday is not going to do any good whatsoever. The remember the Lot's wife message that Jesus was preaching was simply this. Don't look back. Put the kingdom in front of you and don't look back. Don't go back to your house and get your possessions. If you're in bed and somebody else, your, your, your spouse is there and, 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 or your kids is there, whatever, don't try to grab them. You get out. You get out. You get out. That's the way the kingdom works. If you're going to remember Lot's wife, there are some points we will have to observe and make. She was not a backslider because she did not go back. She was not a sinner because a sinner would have never left. Lot's wife epitomizes a child of God who has enough faith to get out but still has so many issues in the past they can't embrace the future. I've got to be real careful here today, but I'm still, as pastor, I'm still being punished by people because of what your previous pastor did or didn't do. Now you're taking that out on me. I wasn't even there. She was given an opportunity by God himself. And she didn't take advantage of it. When God, y'all understand when I'm preaching, there's people and names that are rolling through my head. I have to be careful not to blurt one of them out. There's a woman I'm thinking about right now that God has given this person a glorious opportunity. They're not here today. I don't know where they are. They weren't here last Sunday either. 
There's a man I'm thinking of right now that God gave him a glorious opportunity. Couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. When God gets ready, I want you to understand to move on your behalf as a result of interceding people. When God gets ready to move on your behalf as a result of interceding spouse, kids, parents, he's, he's quick with it. Across the board, he's quick with it. And you have to be willing to move quickly and without delay. The Israelites crossing the Red Sea, they didn't camp out there for three weeks. And one night, they were marching across. Peter was delivered by angels from jail while a prayer meeting was going on. Straightway, the Bible said, the disciples left their nets and followed Jesus. Straightway, the woman with the issue of blood was healed. Straightway, Jairus' daughter was healed. Straightway, did the young man in Mark 7 have his ears open and his speech impediment healed? Weeping, the psalmist said, may endure for a night, but joy manifests itself in the morning when a person gets pulled out. They are often, they are often or pulled out so fast that if you're attached to anything in your past, you will not be prepared for what God is doing for you in the future. And I think sometimes God does snatch people out of their past so you can't bring none of it with you. If you're going to get what God has for you in October, then you're going to have to leave everything in September. For that matter, this whole entire year. If you're going to have what God wants for you. You can cling to some grudge or bitterness. You can cling to some worldliness thing that you like to do. Some sinful thing. And But pastor, you don't understand. There's one thing that I like to do. And there's one thing, other thing I like to do. Whatever. You can cling to all that stuff. But you'll become a monument before you become a movement. The reason that Jesus wanted us to remember Lot's wife was because she had been delivered from a place physically but was not prepared for that deliverance mentally or spiritually or emotionally. I watched Peyton this morning just scanning the crowd. just didn't sit here and stare. Anyway, just watching her this morning here. This is what I observed. I may be wrong in what I, what I observed. But it's almost like she'd look around the building. And if she saw somebody with her hands like that, she'd do like that. If she saw somebody with her hands like that, she'd do like that. She's learning from her environment on what to do. But across the board, she has seen an opportunity for her life. And to the best of her ability, she has taken full-blown. She's 17 She's 17 years old. Y'all didn't get that. This is very out of character. And it's funny to me that she's coming from not that much of a church background, as I understand, thinking that she's found the best thing ever here. When we have kids that have grown up here and going where she's coming from. You know why? Because the kids that grow up here don't understand the value of an opportunity. They don't think that's this big of a deal anymore. They don't understand the beautiful community the church gives and the support the church gives and the life the church gives and the hope the church gives. On top of that, this amazing relationship with God. They think because they've had this all of their life, it's not a big deal. And out there is better than what's in here. And the people that come from out there come in here and say, Wow, why didn't somebody tell me about this a long time ago? I've seen this all of my life, and I've never understood it. The sinner comes in the door, and the child of God's going out the door, and they rub shoulders when they're going down the aisle, one coming to Jesus and another going to the world. I don't understand how you can experience what we experience and feel what we feel and see what we see and know what we know and say, you know what, I think I'm going to look back for a little while. Somebody here today needs to realize the value of an opportunity. There's people sitting over here on this side. There's a number of people that need to understand the value of the opportunity that God has set at your doorstep right now. If I were you, I'd jump in with all four feet, man, and say, God, whatever you have for me.
She was being delivered physically, but wasn't prepared for that deliverance mentally, spiritually, emotionally. Her body was out, but her mind was still back there somewhere. Her situation was out, but her attitude was still back there somewhere. Her position was out physically, but her condition was still stuck. It's a dangerous place to be in life when you're divided against yourself. God had brought her to a place for which she had no real appreciation. Woe to those who seek to remain in the familiar when God wants to put us in the middle of the divine. Woe to those who seek to remain in the comfortable when God wants to put us in a place of opportunity. Woe to those of us who have been given an opportunity but your mind is tied it's all tied up in what you are accustomed to just a three word sermon that sends an immortal and eternal warning to the church remember Lot's wife remember that I brought her to a place that she wasn't ready for I brought her out but she couldn't think herself out Remember that I brought her body out, but she couldn't get her mind out. Remember that I brought her to a place of opportunity, but her faith could not hold out. Remember that I brought her to a place where destiny called and nothing she needed was in her past. She needed nothing from her past. God would equip her with everything she needed for her future. Paul said it, forgetting those things which are behind. You reach into a tomorrow and you do the will of God. Her body was out. Her face was headed for Zor. Her hands were in the hand of a man being led by angels. And her mind was looking back. There's someone here today. You're looking back right now and you can't change your posture. You, you want to, but you can't. And you're doing it in the face of praying mothers and praying daddies. You're doing it in the face of a praying church and praying people. This is where Lot's wife was. Anybody seemingly with any common sense or any knowledge or experience at all would say, Woman, what are you doing? Your husband is being led by angels. Follow him. I don't care where they're going. Wherever they're going is better than where you came from, especially now that it's literally burning to the ground. If she would have went back, Nothing she owned survived. Wasn't a single possession she could go and retrieve. What about us? It's a lesson for us. You can go to a blessed church. You can worship in a blessed environment. You can say blessed things. But if you go into tomorrow divided, you will perish between the two places. Won't everybody understand that? It's not either or. Lot's wife is the only person in Scripture that got out of a terrible situation and perished between two places. She wasn't murdered. She wasn't crucified. She wasn't in prison. This woman destroyed herself. She died becoming a monument when she should have moved forward to become a movement. Remember Lot's wife. The problem with Lot's wife was not her morality or her integrity because she was good enough to get out. Her problem was her mentality. Her mind refused to accept the opportunity that God had just placed in front of her. Remember Lot's wife. Get yourself together. Put, pull your mind in. Get your attitude right. Quit crying over yesterday. Don't let your past hinder your future. Quit worrying about everybody else. You may not be able to save your city, but you can save yourself and even potentially your family if you'll get into God's plan. So there are those here today that need to realize this is your opportunity. You've come too far to die in the wilderness. You've gotten out of the world and sin, but you can't stop now. You have left you have left the past behind and you have to look forward to your destiny. This is your chance for a breakaway. This is going to be a time of opportunity for you. Josephus, the the old Jewish historian, wrote in his works that he saw Lot's wife in the wilderness, that pillar of salt. Sodom and Gomorrah could not be located because it's thought to be at the bottom of the Dead Sea. But God made a monument. He buried Sodom and Gomorrah 
but he left an everlasting monument out of Lot's wife. Lot's wife was frozen in time. She was coming out, but she was frozen in time because she looked back. The decision that I have to make is whether or not I'm going to stay behind and hold Lot's wife's hand, or am I going to move on and keep walking forward? You can keep holding hands with the past, or you can let go and march into what God has for you in the future. Consider the ramification of what happened to Lot and his family because Lot's wife looked back. Had she not looked back, had she stayed with them, if she had not turned to salt, when Lot got to the mountain, his daughters would not have gotten him drunk and seduced him. If she had not turned to salt, Ammon and Moab would have never been born, some of the most brutal, horrible enemies of the Jewish people. If she had not looked back, those cities that troubled Israel would have never come into existence. All of this happened because of someone who got stuck looking back. God did not bring us out for us to get stuck in time. We need to pull our mind in and make some determinations to be steadfast, to develop an appreciation of where you are right now, that you have time, you have an opportunity to get your priorities where there need to be. It's funny to me, not ha-ha funny. It's strange, amazing. A little, while ago, a little while ago while I was preaching, she was on her feet clapping her hands. Yeah, Pastor Murphy, yeah, yeah, yeah. We have several backsliders here this morning that didn't do anything. We have a two-week-old baby that's already catching on. When there's people here today, I want to live for God for Brother Brother Murphy. I want to live for God so bad. Oh, I want to live for God so bad. So you're doing it this way. Well, I like that over there, man. I like that bar. I still like that drink I got over there. And man, dancing that night, oh my goodness, that was amazing. And I even smoked a little weed. I remember that. Now I just, you know, Brother Murphy, I just can't. You're not going back to that. But you don't want to turn loose of it either. You know, I remember the sexual escapades I had, Brother Murphy. I, I don't want to do that no more. But man, I just, I, whew, that was some amazing times right there. I just, I just want to sit and study that memory for a while. You know, the, the greatest tragedy, the backslider goes back to sinning. They quit church. We have a bunch of them. They're all over this area. Hundreds, hundreds, and hundreds of them. Most of them got their feelings hurt by somebody. Anyway. But there's people in the church. You come fairly regular. Don't usually pay tithes, but they're here. So, are you backslidden? Probably not. But are you really serving God and following this movement closer and closer to your destiny and closer and closer to heaven? You're not doing that either. You're stuck between two places. There's people here this morning, you're stuck between two places. God's brought you out of sin, but you've not engaged your future. And you're stuck. And this is your posture. Jesus, I don't find anything in the Bible where Jesus was just speaking off the cuff. Everything he said, everything he said had purpose and implication and meaning. And for him to mention this randomly, if you looked at them, I wish I had time, this whole thing of Matthew 24 and Luke 17 has to do with the last days and Jesus coming back and setting up his kingdom for the millennium and they want to know is that going to happen and all that kind of stuff. And in the middle of all of that, he said, remember Lot's wife. What are you talking about? Well, that's for me to know and you to find out. So I'm trying to help somebody here today that you have developed and established a posture where I'm not really serving God, but I'm not really 
backslid either. I don't really do any bad things. I've heard people say that. That was Lot's wife. She wasn't doing anything bad either. Do y'all get it? Do you understand? She wasn't a horrible person. She wasn't into prostitution and drugs. She hadn't been married and divorced four or five times and have kids all over the place. She wasn't into that. She was a wife and had two daughters. It's like normal people. But she just didn't want to take that one more step away from Sodom. And God made a monument out of her and told the rest of humankind that lived after her, don't ever forget that, frozen in between two places. Folks, we have an opportunity to be more for Jesus. There's husbands here today. There's daddies here today. There's single people here today. You have an opportunity. You have an opportunity. Your body is headed in the right direction, but your head is that way. Just spin it around. And if you want to sit and say, just go ahead and stand with me this morning and through. But if you want to stand and say, but pastor, I love God. I come to church as often as I can. You know, if it's not a, if I'm not working, if I'm not at a birthday party, if I'm not out of town, if I'm not at graduation, something, if, if I'm not, you know, need to pressure wash my house, you know, I need to paint the kitchen cabinets. If I'm not doing any of that, Pastor, I'm in church. You're a Lot's wife. You're not committed. It's not commitment when you live like she did. It's not commitment. God made a monument out of her and told the rest of humankind that followed her, don't forget that. So, young folks, at y'all's amazing young age, God's given you an opportunity. There's one of our young guys here today especially. I told somebody this morning, I hope he doesn't do something stupid. I can see him on staff in the future. I can see him doing some amazing things here at Grace. I hope you don't do something stupid by looking back. Don't do that. I'm not finished today, but my time's gone. I want some families here today to do some soul searching. You have an opportunity. To be right with God like you've never been right with God. To work in the kingdom like you've never worked in the kingdom. To make the biggest impact on your kids. You don't have a greater opportunity than you do right now to do that. Please take advantage of it. I'm asking you, quit showing up at 11 for church when you know full good and well you could be here at 10. Stop missing Wednesday night when you can be here. It's Lot's wife. I'm not all the way in, but I'm not all the way out. I'm not backslidden either. I don't even put this in a lukewarm bracket. You're being led out by angels, man. You're in the biggest moment of spirituality you'll ever experience in your lifetime. And you're doing something boneheaded at the same time. Can I persuade somebody? I did it when I was a teenager. I sold out to this. I don't ever consider myself backslidden. Never went through that. I committed to this. Answered my call to the ministry, and I've never looked back. I've never, and it's, look what God has done with my life. Have an amazing family, an amazing home. God has blessed me out of the wazoo, if you don't mind. You can have the same thing. Would you have to say yes? Can I persuade somebody? There's families here today. There's single people here today. You keep messing around with this church thing. Make up your mind. See the value of opportunity. While they begin to sing softly, would you come gather around the front? Everybody come. And for God's sake, if there's somebody here that needs the Holy Ghost, would you come with them? Would you encourage them to come? Would you invite them to come with you? Take advantage of this opportunity. You can't sell out to Him enough. You can't say it enough. You can't live it enough. Sell out to it and say, God, 
Whatever it is you want for me, that's just, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to be. God, I want to go places in the kingdom. Come on, everybody. Come on, everybody. Would you pray for a little while? Would you talk to the Lord for a little while? Would you seek after Him for a little while? All over the house today with your hands lifted to heaven. All over the house today with your hands lifted to heaven. Would you talk to the Lord? Talk to the Lord. We have people across the front of the building that's sincerely reaching out to God. Would you pray? Would you help us pray right now? Let's create an atmosphere where somebody can find what they're looking for. Yes, Lord. Come on, everybody. Come on, everybody. Let's talk to the Lord. Let's talk to the Lord. 